this is a one-time shot, and I want to talk about divine healing. I haven't talked about this in some time. I have a whole series on this subject. So uh, when I go somewhere, for instance, and, and I minister on healing, this is the one, this is the one message that I will minister because this is the fundamental background on understanding that when Jesus died for your sins, he also took your sicknesses so that you can also be healed. How many think that's really awesome news? Let me see, I was raised in a denominational church and nobody ever taught me that for almost 18 years of my life. And when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit just before my 18th birthday, went to a church and they talked about the fact that God not only wanted to save you, but also wanted to heal you. I was like, really? Are you kidding me? Because all of my teenage years, I was afraid that I was gonna die young. Well, that didn't happen. Have you figured it out yet? And, uh, but I was afraid. I was afraid that if there's anything going around, I would get it. I was afraid I would die of some dreaded disease. I knew people and, and uh, people uh, you know, in my circle of influence that had contracted all kinds of terrible illnesses and diseases. And I was just waiting on it to jump on me. And, and when I found out that you can resist sickness just like you resist sin, and you can overcome sickness just like you overcome sin, that set me free. There was an area of fear that left my life. And uh, maybe you have been dominated by the fear of death and fear of sickness, fear of disease, fear of malady. You can be freed from that and walk in the purposes of God for your life and live to a ripe old age and die when you're satisfied with life. How many thinks that's the will of God? In fact, I read Psalm 91, with long life will I satisfy him or her and show them my salvation. How many believe it's the will of God for you to die young? Think anybody raise your hand? How many believe it's the will of God for you to live a long time? How many want to live a long time? How many wouldn't raise your hand if your life depended on it? <laughs> Just kidding. Yes, so I want to I want to talk about by His stripes, and really this is a life changing message. And uh, let me I always say this: there'll never be a time in your life that you don't need faith in God for healing, either for yourself or for someone that you know. So you always need to keep your faith faith build up in divine healing. Every day of my life, I find something of the scriptures to, to feed on, I call it, or read about divine healing just to keep my faith build up. Now, I've been walking with Jesus next month, 42 years. So 42 years ago, I began a journey of believing God to walk in divine health. Has Satan attacked my body many, many times, but I've also seen the healing power of God. And you can do too if you know his word. Let me encourage this. We live in a day that a person gets one little symptom or they hear this and that is going around. First thing they do is Google it. Yes or no? So what I want to encourage you not to do is the wrong thing to do if you have a symptom in your body and a thought come to your mind, well, you may have that disease because, you know, I heard somebody talking about it or they talked about it on the news or you read this article in some news thing you're reading, you know, or, or, or you've Googled it and you said, well, you know, I got that. It feels that way. And my Lord, they said I got that. You'll be, you'll be obsessing over that for a whole week and it might be nothing. So how many want to have faith in God, not faith in sickness and disease? So if you want faith in sickness, faith in disease, faith that the worst can happen, Google it. Yeah? But if you want to have faith in God to keep you free from sickness, disease, and illness, go to the Word first. Don't forget uh, uh, Proverbs 4, a father talking to his son. My son, 
Attend to my words. Put my word first. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let my sayings depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they, my words, are life to those that find them. And my words are health. The Hebrew says medicine to all of your flesh. The word of God can heal you if you let it. Jesus is the living word. How many hear me? So I'm starting to preach before you can get to my notes. So. Uh, healing is available. Again, let me also say that I've asked Isaiah early this morning when I first got up, I texted him and said, Can, we've got a new website. We're putting all our old, our uh, f- previous messages on a website, some of them. And I asked him if he could put my whole series on healing on our website soon. And he said he believe he could make access. So anyway, I got uh, nine or 10 hours of teaching on healing. I can't do that this morning. And there's so many nuances to this that I won't be able to say everything that I want to say. You've got to make this very practical. What I want to share with you today is the fundamental basis of how we know and we can be assured that when Jesus died for our sins, he also died for our healing from sickness and disease. And with the same sacrifice that he bore our sicknesses, our sins, He likewise bore our sicknesses. And with the same faith that we believe God to heal us, uh, to forgive us of our sins, with that same faith we can believe for the healing of sickness and disease. Is that good news? So let's get right in it. You fill in the blanks as I go here, and we'll just go all, all through all six of these little points here. Number one, healing is available for God's people in both Old and New Covenants. If you go read thoroughly Old Testament, New Testament, you'll find a pattern of God wanting to set his people free from sickness and disease. Hebrews 8, 6, New Living Translation. I've got something different, I think, that's on your sheet there. Um, says this, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant. What kind of covenant? Say it again. A far better covenant with God based on better promises, question mark. If the New Testament is better than the Old Testament, would it include everything that the Old Testament promised the Old Testament people? So question mark, if God promised his old covenant people that he would keep them free from sickness and disease, and that was the old covenant, and we have a new covenant that is based on better promises, uh, more secure promises, then would the new covenant also have to include freedom, freedom from sickness and disease the way the old covenant did? Yes or no? The obvious answer to all this, yes. Yeah. So uh, here's the healing covenant, Exodus 15. Now the Israelites had just come out of Egypt. They had been in Egypt for 400 years serving the Egyptian taskmasters as slaves. They had just come across the Red Sea and they were on a long, almost 40-year journey uh, to the promised land, and right, right at the beginning of their journey, here, the, here it is, verse 23, when they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. <coughs> Excuse me. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, or other translations say a tree. And that is a type and shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. Really interesting. And so Moses threw the wood or tree into the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Merah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him and said, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands, 
keeping all of his decrees, I, then I will uh, not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who healed you. Uh, everybody say, I am the Lord who healed you. Now, there's one of seven, God's seven covenant names there, hidden there. The Hebrew says Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, who reveals himself. That's what Jehovah means. And then Rapha, Jehovah Rapha is the Hebrew word for healer. healer. So I am the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha. I'm the one who keeps you well. I want to be your physician. He says, one little thing I need to note here. Notice he said at the very end of verse, uh, verse 26, I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent. Now, understand when you read the Old Testament, there really was not a revelation of a personal devil or the devil or Satan or Lucifer. Well, he wasn't revealed by and large to the old covenant people. They didn't understand. They thought everything come from the hand of God. We understand the thief comes, Jesus said. He clarified it well. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy But Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Anything that kills, steals, and destroys comes from a thief. Question mark, is God a thief? Then why does this verse say that I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent? That verb in the Hebrew is not in the causative sense. God didn't put the illnesses on the Egyptians. They just didn't do anything to keep that from happening. So it's the permissive sense. It's not that God did it, but they didn't do anything uh, in faith towards God to keep the enemy from coming in to steal and kill and to destroy. And so many times you'll read in the Old Testament that God killed this person or God killed that person or God put this illness. God didn't do it. It's just that he had to back up because they weren't doing anything that he could hook up with that helped to help them. So he had to allow it. How many understand that? That's really important because you'll get confused in reading the Old Testament if you don't understand that simple principle so you could actually read it this way. Then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases that I allowed to be sent on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who healed you. They had faith in God. Their faith opened them up for God to be able to minister life to them even in the old covenant. Jesus wants to do that for us today. Number two, the basis for healing uh, in the atonement of Christ is found in Isaiah 53. Now, all my life, I went to my first Bible school in 1977, and even before that, I was just, uh, I just loved to read, and I found all kind of books to read, and, and I found out through reading that all through the centuries of, of the Christian church, Isaiah 53 has been known as the uh, redemptive chapter, and, and that's, that's, that's what uh, believers have, have uh, called it all through uh, the uh, uh, era of the Christian faith, the great redemptive chapter, because all of Isaiah 53 is about the Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, and what he did for us, and every verse points to his vicarious or in the place, our place atonement for our sins. So let's just read that. This is New King James, beginning with verse 1, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And then verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those verses reveal what Jesus Christ has done for us and they're, and they're the Old Testament prophet seven years, hundred years before Jesus ever came, revealing what the Messiah would do for the human race. I've read this chapter in my personal readings. You know, you got, you're reading through the Bible in here. Sometimes I just take Isaiah 53 throughout the day and I just read the whole chapter. And sometimes I read it out loud because I never want to forget what Jesus did for me. And I encourage you to do the same. Let's start with verse one and talk about this for a little bit. Who has believed our report, verse one says, and to whom has the arm <coughs> of the Lord been revealed. Faith, how many know faith is believing the report? We had a song years ago, I think back in the 90s, whose report are you gonna believe? We will re- believe the report of the Lord. And that song comes from this verse, uh, um, who hath re- believed our report, and that is who has believed what God has said. Then it says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is an Old Testament reference to the power of God for salvation and redemption of the human race. And anytime you hear the phrase, arm of the Lord, is talking about God's power in redemption, God's power in salvation. It's referring to that, obviously, in this verse. Verse two, he says, for he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And then it says, and as a root out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness when we see him, There is no beauty that we should desire him. So here is a human who is not born like anybody else and this reference when it says root out of dry ground, that is a reference to the supernatural birth of Jesus Christ. You don't get a plant out of dry ground. You've got to have some water. And this is talking about a scenario that was set up where someone was born in a supernatural way and this someone is not uncommon to humanity. He, he, he's just like everybody else. He's a human like everyone else. Hebrews 4 says Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, though he was God, he was also one of us. And that makes him the, the intermediary between God and man. He is the only person worthy enough to stand in the t- gap between a holy God and sinful men and bring the two together. And so it calls him here a root out of dry ground, speaking of Jesus' supernatural birth, birth and then getting right to the point. In verse 3, he says, he, that is the Messiah, is despised and rejected by men. Have you ever been despised by people when you say you're a believer or you believe the Bible or you go to one of those churches that believes in healing or they pray in the Spirit? Have you ever been despised for what you believe? Jesus was. And if you really believe what you believe, there'll be people that look down their nose at you too, but you're in good company. They did it to Jesus. So he says he is despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows. Now this is a little masked. A few uh, modern translations bring this out, bring the verbiage out the way it should be. So New King James says a man of sorrows 
and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, we did not esteem him. So this, this, this phrase here, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Jesus was a man of sorrows, and in the notes, if you're looking at them online there, uh, bring reference to the Hebrew word for sorrows. Elsewhere, it's translated in the Old Testament, pains. Many times translated pains, and if you have a good, uh, a good study Bible or whatever, you've got a margin or a section at the bottom of the page of that Bible, and you've got a little number by the word, by the word sorrows, a good Bible will also give the Hebrew word or what it means, a man of pains and acquainted with grief or that word grief could be translated sicknesses. Many of the translations of the Bible now will reference pains and sickness for, um, for where am I, sorrows and grief. He was despised and rejected by men. It should read, a man of pains and acquainted with grief, sickness. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised and we did not esteem him. Then verse four, surely he has borne. Everybody say born. We'll come back to that word. That's a really interesting word and we'll research it a little further. Surely he has borne our sicknesses, that word griefs, translated sicknesses, and carried our pains. So everybody say carried. So the two words born and carried are Levitical words from the day of atonement in Leviticus 16. The Old Test covenant people had one day a year where sacrificial animals were killed and their blood was placed in the Holy of Holies over the Ark of the Covenant to cover their sins for once a year. And these two words uh, uh, born and carried give reference to that day and it's really insightful and interesting and if you'll just follow this you can't miss the fact that healing is in the atonement of Christ we know this so clearly and we can say it so clearly because of this verse right here surely he Jesus Christ has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains that word, uh, that word born and the, the word bear is from the same Hebrew word is down in that chapter if you look and I've got it in the notes, Isaiah 53 verses 11 and 12 speaking of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus when he sees, God sees all that is accomplished by his, by Jesus Christ's anguish he will be satisfied and because of his experience my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear, everybody say bear, all their sins. It will give him the honor of a victorious soldier, I will, he said, because he has exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore, everybody say bore. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. That word born in the Hebrew means to lift up, to bear away, to convey or to remove from a distance. And the idea is to take something from someone else, put it on yourself, and completely remove it from them. So verses 11 and 12 are clear. Jesus completely bore our sin debt. Think of every wrong thing you've ever thought, every wrong thing you've ever said, every wrong act you've ever committed, or every wrong motive that's been in my or your heart. Jesus became that. 
he bore it, that is, he took our sins upon himself and became the judgment for our sins. He completely removed them from us. Is that good news? And see, so it says that in in verses 11 and 12. So it's very clear the same words are used here in verse 4. And he says, surely he has borne. He's lifted up, removed, and conveyed to his distance our sicknesses and carried our pains. That word carried, it means to assume a heavy burden or it means the complete removal of what is born. So when it says, surely he's borne our sicknesses and carried our sorrows, it means he completely removed them from us so we don't have to mess with them anymore. How many know when you are forgiven of your sins, you come to make Jesus Lord, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Messiah, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The moment you do that, How many know you become a new creature in Christ Jesus? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? So so you don't have to be concerned about your past sins when you come to Jesus because as far as God's concerned, you don't have a past. Yes or no? So when you come to Jesus and crown him as your Lord and Savior of your life, the ruler of your being, when you think about your past, it's not God reminding you of your past. It's either your friends, your enemies, or the devil himself. Or maybe you're reminding yourself of where you've been and what you did. But as far as God's concerned, we don't have a past. Yes or no? That's how much Jesus took our sins from us. That's a given, right? Well, in the same sense, when Jesus took our sins and completely removed them from us by burying them for us, he at the same time took our sicknesses, illnesses, pains. That's what it says. Now, obviously, God knew that people would slobber all over this verse. That's a southern way of saying it. But obviously, he knew that people say, well, now you know that's your spiritual sicknesses and that's your spiritual pains. And I have heard this before I I came to know Jesus and I was going to a denominational church and they would read this verse and they say our spiritual sicknesses, our spiritual sins. How many know sin is not a sickness? Sin is not a disease. Sin is what you are before you make Jesus Lord. How many hear me? God never refers to sin in the Bible as a sickness. And God knew that people would say that because there'd be elements of the Christian faith perhaps that wouldn't believe in divine healing. So he said, well, I've got to, I've got to have a commentary. So when, when, when the Holy Spirit came on Matthew and he penned the book of Matthew, listen to what God did he actually quoted from Isaiah 53, verse 4, Matthew 8, 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. Speaking of Jesus, they came to Jesus, brought many to him who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, and it's a direct quote from Isaiah 53, verse four. Himself, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. 
They can't even get any clearer than that. And, and obviously in the context of Matthew 8, he's not talking about spiritual, spiritual sicknesses. He's talking about physical sicknesses because they called, brought people to Jesus who were demon-possessed and who were sick and Jesus healed them so that the scripture in Isaiah 53, 4 could be fulfilled. Himself took our infirmities and bear us. Is that good news? Now, the day of atonement, let's go a little further. <coughs> Excuse me, the day of atonement, Leviticus 16, clearly shows Jesus how he bore our sicknesses and disease. And these two words, the Levitical words, born and carried in Isaiah 53. Uh, I don't have time today to read all of uh, Leviticus 16, but you can sometime. That is, uh, that is the day of atonement. Uh, Israel, once a year, the high priest would come before God and he would go through ceremonial washings and put on certain garbs because he was going to go into a place in the former tabernacle, later the temple of God, and it was a place nobody could go in but the high priest. That's where the presence of God dwelt. And you read the, uh, when the Israelites were doing their wilderness wanderings, there was a, there was a, a, a fire, a, a, a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night that actually hung over the holy of holies. And, and nobody could go in there because the presence of God was holy and pure. And you could only go in there if you were ultra consecrated as was the high priest. He had to kill an animal for himself. He had to cover his own sins with the blood of, of an animal first. But before he even went in, and I just want to read a couple of verses from Leviticus 16. So the first verses are talking about two animals that the uh, high priest took. One was for himself and then one was for the Israelites. And the one, the one that was for the Israelites is called the scapegoat. Everybody say scapegoat. Now, I was in Israel in 2012, and I actually saw the area uh, right uh, over the Mount of Olives where they let the scapegoat go. And read, we'll read about that in just a minute. So the, it, the high priest would take the scapegoat, it'd wash him all down, wash him clean, and then he would take his hands and he would lay his hands on that goat and confess all of the sins of the children of Israel for that whole year on that goat. Now, I'd love to hear what he said, wouldn't you? But somehow there was a transfer of all of, typically a transfer via the high priest laying his hands on a scapegoat of all of the Israelites' sins, two and a half million, three million people. And God typically laid their sins on the goat. Let's read verse 21. He'll lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat into the wilderness. And the goat, as the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry. Now there's that word from Isaiah 53. The word born and the word carry. It's a Levitical word from Leviticus 16. That goat typically bore the sins of the Israelites. It will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. Isn't that awesome? The same, the same words used for that goat as the high priest laid his hands on the head of the goat. Jesus, how many know Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Isaiah, um, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 is clear. Him who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, a sin offering 
for us that we might be made right with God through Christ. When, when Paul pinned that to the, second, for the, to the Corinthian believers, Paul was thinking about the day of atonement. And he was thinking about that goat, that scapegoat that the high priest laid his hands on and confessed all of the sins of the Israelites upon. And that goat became their sin. Jesus became our sin. Then Isaiah takes it a step further in Isaiah 53. And he reveals that when Jesus took our sins, Jesus also took our sicknesses. He bore our sins Completely removed them. He bore our sicknesses, potentially completely removing them from us. That's cool. Can you see that? I mean, if you have a brain in your head, that's easy to see. God made this so simple if we'll just accept it, right? And then Peter, looking back at the cross, said in 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself, <coughs> excuse me, bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes or wounds you were healed. Looking back at the cross. Now another, another uh, analogy in the Old Testament clearly showing the healing power of God both Old and New Testament and it makes Jesus, it's clear that Jesus became not only our sins but also our sicknesses. Watch this reference in Numbers 21, the serpent of the pole in Numbers 21, it's an excellent example of Jesus becoming both our sin and our sickness. Listen to John 3. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 3, two verses, 14 and 15. Easy to read, New Living Translation. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, now, what is he talking about? And why did, he, why did he refer to Moses lifting up a serpent in the wilderness? We'll look at the reference, and this is a clear reference to Jesus not only taking our sin, but Jesus also taking our sick, sickness. Look at Numbers 21. I've got it on the screen for you. The Israelites were, were, uh, were in the wilderness again. And Moses was overseeing them. And it says they begin to speak against God and Moses. They just had a problem. They're always talking about the leadership. How many know you get into trouble when you gossip and say things you shouldn't say? Go listen to last Wednesday night's message. It's clear. Uh, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They ask Moses, they complain. There's nothing to eat, nothing to drink. We hate this horrible manna. Uh, so the Lord sent, and again, God didn't send the snakes. He just didn't keep it from happening because they were in rebellion. They were in sin. How many know sin can't open up the door for the enemy to attack your life? And so he says, so the Lord allowed to be sent, it should read, poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, we've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake. Isn't that strange? He said, make a golden snake. Attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze, I said gold is bronze, and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Now it's really clinic, this is uncanny y'all. So, so John looking back 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and they that looked at the serpent and were healed, so the son of man must be lifted up. If the Israelites could look at at the serpent, a type of judgment of God and be healed as long as they kept in fact, amplified, listen to amplified. Moses made a serpent of bronze, put it on a pole. If the serpent had bitten any man when he looked to the serpent of bronze attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze, he lived. And as long as they didn't take their eyes off of the sacrifice, as long as they didn't take their eyes off of the, the source of judgment for their rebellion, healing came. Isn't that amazing how God did that? And so if we look to Jesus, we can likewise not only be forgiven and cleansed of our sin, but he was also made the sacrifice for our sickness and disease. And the judgment that was on us came on him. Is that good news? Can you see that? That is so clear. And we should expect divine healing in the same way that we should expect forgiveness of sin based on Jesus' sacrifice. Lastly, Matthew 9. I'm gonna give you an opportunity today if you never have. Some of you have heard me preach on this before. Some of you have done this before. But I always like to give people an opportunity to accept Jesus, not only as Savior, but how about healer? So I love Matthew 9. Jesus climbed into a boat, went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Hearts, it's easy, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? See, Jesus in his own mind, he knew he was that scapegoat. He he knew that he was gonna be that serpent on the pole. He knew that he would would be made sin and sickness and that with the same sacrifice, both our sins would be forgiven and our illnesses can be potentially healed. Is that cool? So he said, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. Isn't that cool? The same sacrifice that takes care of our sin through the Lord Jesus Christ also makes available to us the healing of our physical body. There's only one thing that we must do, and that is believe. So you remember Jesus was teaching the disciples and a lesson on faith and they had gone by a fig tree which he had spoken to and said you should have figs but you know what you'll never have figs again and the, do, the, the tree began to die from the roots they came back by the tree the next day in Mark 11 and they said well you know that tree you talked to and cursed the, the leaves are withering and Jesus said have faith in God Mark eleven twenty two verse 23 he said whoever says to this mountain that is the problem be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, 
I say to you, Mark eleven twenty four. whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive it, and you will have it. Some translations say it will be yours. The idea is you've got to believe it before you feel it, believe it before you see it, and if you believe it and say it, it's yours. Is that good? We want to feel it, then believe it. And that's opposite of what God says. And the adage in our culture is, well, I'll see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, you'll never get it from God. Salvation is by faith. Healing is by faith. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you gotta believe. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be healed. Right? Yeah. But you gotta believe it before you have it. How many have messed up? You said something, blah, 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 blah. you shouldn't have said, oh, I messed up. Or you did something you shouldn't have done and you go, oh, man. And you say, Father, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us. I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, forgive me. And then you just still feel like a rat. Anybody ever feel like you've not been forgiven? Of course you do. So what do you do? Father, by faith, I believe I'm forgiven. Father, by faith, I believe I'm free. How many have days you feel like you get up and you feel like God's 10 million miles away, but he's right there beside you? So we walk by faith and not by feelings, right? So if we walk by faith for forgiveness of sin, we walk by faith by, for being a believer, by, by believing what God says regardless of what our feelings tell us. Some days you don't feel forgiven. Some days you don't feel like you're the righteousness of God in Christ. But you say you are because God says you are. There are times when you don't feel healed. But when you speak to the illness and say, go in Jesus' name and don't doubt in your heart, but use the same faith that you use to get, bring salvation in your life or bring forgiveness in your life, you can also, with that same faith, bring healing into your life. Is that good news?